So last week, church, we, in this series, looked at the topic of reading our Bibles. And we saw from Psalm 119 last week how we read God's word because it truly is wonderful. It's a miracle. And I do pray that for all of us, that we, if you were here, that that truth about the Bible has perhaps stirred us this past week and, and will continue to stir us in 2023 to read God's word more this year, to hear more from the living God. And so that was last week, but now this week we turn to the topic of prayer, of prayer. And we do so sort of naturally because as Christians saved by Jesus and loved by God, we have a relationship with God. And as with any relationship, our relationship of course includes listening to him, which we do in his word. And in a sense that is primary because God has to reveal himself to us in order for us to know him. So we listen to him in his word and also though in our relationship with God it of course includes talking to him. And that essentially is what prayer is. We, we hear God in his word, that's how he has ordained it and then we speak to him in what we call prayer. And concerning what we'll be looking about on this topic of prayer this morning, well in basic there's one main word that I want us all to think about and consider on this topic of prayer. And it's a word which shows up in the climactic part of our passage that we just heard read. And to see it, to begin this morning, look down at your Bibles again at verse 16. Verse 16. And as we'll see later, everything in this paragraph is building up to this point in verse 16 where the Bible, the author says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And that then is the word I want us to all focus on this morning. Confidence. Confidence. Drawing near to God with confidence. Praying with confidence. And hearing that, right, that might sound really strange to you. Because you might wonder, what does that mean? I mean, should I, can I really have confidence when I'm drawing near to the living God? And that's actually quite an important thing to think about, not only concerning prayer, but really just concerning our Christian lives in general. Because I hope you know in the Bible, and even in just this letter of Hebrews itself, I hope you know the Christian life actually isn't supposed to be something of uncertainty or timidity. And I say that because often, since we know, right, that we're supposed to be humble, like Jesus was perfectly humble, and that's true, but because of that, we can then think that Christianity, that the Bible, therefore, must promote some sort of uncertainty or timidity. But the opposite is actually true. Because first, concerning uncertainty, this book of Hebrews even, later on in chapter 11, gives what is perhaps one of the most famous one-sentence verses on, on what faith is in the Bible. And what is faith? This is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so faith, actually in the Bible, isn't a leap in the dark. Instead, it is trusting the living God with conviction. And so the Christian life isn't supposed to be one of, of uncertainty and it isn't to be something where concerning God, we're actually timid either. And I say that because of our passage here where again, it talks about drawing near to God with confidence. But also this shows up later in Hebrews chapter 10 as well because there the author in a similar way to here, he says this, quote, we have confidence to enter the holy places. 
which is a really bold statement to say that we have confidence to enter the holy places where God is. But in short, that is Christianity, brothers and sisters. We are to be humble. But the Bible doesn't encourage us to be uncertain or timid in that humility. Rather, what we're to have, what's good for all of us is conviction, some sort of confidence, which again makes us wonder, how can that even be? What does that even mean for me and my life in general and for my prayer life? And in short, that is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Which means, to be really clear from the outset, our goal this morning, church, is that in about 30 or so minutes from now, after seeing what God says here in Hebrews 4, our goal is to not only just understand what all this means, but really our goal is to hopefully feel much more confident about prayer. That's our goal. And therefore, I hope from that, that we'll each pray more in 2023. And so quickly, I just even encourage you right now, perhaps pray to God right now in your head, and your heart, asking him to help you through all this, be more confident in prayer through what he has to say to us in his word this morning. But all that said, that, then, that does bring us now specifically to our outline for our, this morning as we go through Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 here. And so that's our topic, topic, confidence, praying with confidence. But now in order to understand what that means and means for you and me, We're going to have three sections asking three questions as we go through this passage this morning. Three questions. And as for what they are, first, we'll begin by asking the question of why don't we have confidence when we draw near to God and pray? And for that, we're just going to start by looking at a couple important words in our passage. And then second, we'll follow that up by asking, and what does this passage itself say as a whole? Not just about confidence, but also about us and Jesus. And that second section will be our main section where we'll basically get a good grasp of the passage itself in God's word, which then finally this morning, third, will lead us to end by asking, and so then what is this confidence? And what does it mean for you and I and our praying? And it's there that we'll have some more practical takeaways for our lives. And so three sections. In summary, why we don't have confidence. Second, what this passage here is saying. And then third, some takeaways for us in our prayer lives. And all with one last time, the goal actually being to have and feel whatever the author of Hebrews here, whatever God here is talking about when the Bible says we can draw near with confidence. Our goal is to have that and then let that change our prayer lives because it really can. But all that said, church, let's now begin our first section. And for this here again, we're asking why don't we have confidence when we draw near to God? And I want us to think about this first because in a way it, it does make sense that if you're sitting there and you're, and you're hearing this idea that being really confident before God sounds strange, it does, it does make sense that that makes us recoil a little bit because, because we know our prayer lives. We know our sins and we know the reality of God. And so the idea of having confidence in prayer before the living God probably does sound strange. And in a way, as we'll see, it's a good thing that it probably sounds strange a little bit. But that's why first we need to talk about why we don't have confidence. And in order to see this in our passage, we'll now just look at verse 15, verse 15. And as we said earlier, we're going to cover this passage more thoroughly in the second section. But here in verse 15 now, just notice two realities that come up here that describe who Jesus was and is, but also bring to light who you and I are. 
So look at verse 15 now. The Bible says this, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the two words here which point to us to why we don't have confidence in prayer before God is those words weaknesses and sin. Right? Weaknesses and sin. And I know in the context here, the author here is talking about how Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses, which is an amazing thing. And how Jesus was tempted and yet he did not sin. And we'll get to that. But still, I do think that the author here uses those words in this paragraph because in contrast to Jesus, in our own, on our own, we are weak and sinful. We're weak, sinful people. And, and both of those terms are really helpful in talking about why we don't have confidence in prayer. And we need both of these words because as you can see, one of the words, weaknesses, isn't bad in itself. And another of the words, sin, is. And that's important to understand because first, concerning weaknesses, I hope you know that in the Bible, yes, weakness now is a result of the fall, but being weak isn't sinful or wrong in itself. And we know that because even in this passage, Jesus is said to have had weaknesses. And so weaknesses aren't wrong, but we all have them. And not only that, but think about it. Concerning our praying, we know that often it's just simple weaknesses that are a reason for why we don't pray a lot, for why we don't have confidence in prayer. Let's think about it. So much of our lack of deep and consistent praying, it's just because we're weak, <laughs> We know that. We get distracted, hungry, tired, achy, emotional. And often being like that isn't explicitly sin. It's just part of being a frail human being. Right? So that's the first word here. And again, we share that with Jesus who knows what it's like to be weak like that. But that's not all because then concerning us, in our prayer lives, more significant here than just the word weaknesses is that word sin sin. And sin obviously is where, as the author says, we are much different than Jesus. Because as for Jesus, he too was weak and even tempted because he was a genuine human being. And yet he never sinned. But what about you and I? Well, we sin all the time. And that sin then, to boil it down, is what keeps us from having confidence in prayer. And honestly, Rightly so. Because remember, we are talking about prayer, about approaching the living God. And so I know we, we could perhaps be tempted to maybe see the title of this message in your bulletin about confidence in prayer and then kind of start to think that maybe what the Bible is going to talk about here is it's going to pump us up and make us feel strong enough so that we can be confident. So that we can just in ourselves go and be so zealous to pray. But the reality is we can't approach this topic like that. Because on our own, the Bible's clear, we are weak. We know that and we're sinners. Which means, to get a little ahead of ourselves, it means that if there is a way to genuinely have confidence in praying before God, it isn't confidence that is in ourselves. Our confidence can't be in ourselves if we're going to have any of this reality in our prayer lives because we are weak sinners. But we'll get to that later. But that then is our first section, just answering the question why we don't have confidence in prayer. We all know that the answer is we are weak 
and sinful. Which fittingly, though, now brings us to our second section this morning. So that's why we don't have or feel confidence. But now here in our second section, now we'll continue. We'll just ask, and so that being true, well, what then does this passage itself tell us? Not just about confidence, but about us and Jesus as a whole. And we ask this because with that foundation set, now I just want us all to simply see the argument, the logic, if you will, of what the author of Hebrews here, of what God is getting at in this passage. Because remember, the final verse here in this passage that we're getting to is about drawing near with confidence. That's where we're going. And so now let's just see how the author builds up to that idea in these verses. And so here we're going to be in all of verses 14 through 16. And there's three verses here and we'll just take them step by step. And so to begin, look down at verse 14 to start now. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So as a quick side note, before we actually get to verse 14 to start, I do think it's fascinating for you to see that look briefly, the paragraph right before this in verses 11 through 13 is the famous passage about how the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And to be honest, I almost included that in the passage that we're covering this morning, but I want to point that out because just thinking about it, it is interesting then, isn't it? That the author here in the previous paragraph was thinking about the word of God and then he transitions in this paragraph to talking about prayer. It does show us that once again, the word of God and prayer are intimately connected. We hear from God and then we speak to him in prayer. But anyway, bringing us to verse 14 we just read. So the author there, as you can see, as we heard, he begins by talking about us in a way, starting with since then we but really, as you heard, who is that verse clearly mainly about? Well, it's about Jesus. It's a verse mainly about Jesus. And I know that's obvious, but actually that's quite important to see because that means this paragraph, which is going to climax in us drawing near to God with confidence, it's a paragraph mainly about Jesus. But specifically though, what about Jesus is talked about here? Well, the author here says we have a great high priest, meaning Jesus is mediating to us for God, or mediating to God for us. And who is this high priest? What has he done? Well, he's Jesus, the son of God. Jesus is given human name, the son of God, meaning the divine son of God. And finally, what has he done? Well, he has passed through the heavens, meaning 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the son of God, was really here. He was and he still is the son of God, but now he's passed through to go to the presence of God. Which finally then in this verse, notice, so all that's true about Jesus. And it applies to us though in the final command to quote, let us hold fast to our confession. And I love that because just thinking about this one verse then, all that is who Jesus is and what he's done. He's the human and divine son of God. He's our high priest. He's interceding for us. He's in God's presence. That's him. So what about us so far? What are we to do? We'll simply hold fast, cling to, believe that, confess that to be true because it actually is. And so that's step one of this paragraph. Which brings us now in step two to verse 15. And we already looked at this verse talking about weaknesses and sin, but now let's read it in the flow of the paragraph. So look down at your Bibles, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
And so hearing that, you can see that the first word there is for because, which means this verse is giving us another reason to hold fast to our confession, church. And so what's another reason to hold fast to Jesus in our confession? Well, it's because of something about Jesus again. And specifically, it's because Jesus isn't some high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. He isn't so far removed from us. Instead, he's, he's a human being, divine son of God, who also really gets us and was and is really like us. He was, he was weak like us and he was tempted like us, which is an amazing thought when you think about it. But not only that, we hold fast to him though because although he was like us and he is like us in being a genuine human being, we know he wasn't like us in the most important aspect though. And that's how the Bible says he was without sin. Which if you think about it, really is a good reason to hold fast to our confession about him. It is a reason to to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he truly is God, our savior and our only hope. Jesus' sinlessness proves to us that he is who he claimed to be, that he is worthy of holding fast to, and that he really can bring us into the presence of God. And on that, just thinking about that for a minute, I know that perhaps that may sound a little confusing to say that Jesus' sinlessness proves that he really is who he says he is and that he can actually bring us into God's presence. But to bring this home to you and I, just consider if the opposite of that was actually the case of our religious leader, if you will. And especially consider this because the opposite of that is actually the case with any other religious leader and any other religion who has existed in the world. And, and here's what I mean. So there's many, there's many religions in the world and there's been many religious and worldview leaders that people look up to. Right from Buddha to Muhammad to Confucius to some people even high, putting up such figures highly like the Pope. And so there's a lot of people who claim to point to us the way to God or to bring us uniquely into God's presence or or the presence of deity. But, But what really makes Jesus so different? Well, first, it's what we saw in the last verse, how he claimed and is the son of God, how he claimed to be God himself. But not only that, because what helps prove that he was actually the divine son of God and not merely a human being like us? Well, it's the fact that he genuinely was sinless. Sinless. He was perfect from birth to death. No sin. And, and no other religious leader can, no other religion can say that about their leader. Nor do, nor do other religions even claim that. Because it's, it seems impossible for a genuinely human being in this life to live a whole life without messing up. But Jesus did it. He's he's like us and he never sinned. And the point here is he's then the one who went up to heaven for us and is now our high priest. This divine human, weak like us, tempted like us, and yet amazingly loving and sinless person, he's the one who went up to heaven to be our high priest, to mediate for you and for me. Which finally then in the logic and beauty of this passage leads to verse 16. So look down there and now notice the conclusion of all of this. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
And so what's the conclusion? Well, simply stated, and just feel this to be true, brothers and sisters, simply stated, the conclusion of all we've seen is, okay, with everything in verses 14 and 15 being true, then let us draw near to God with confidence to the throne of grace. And hearing that, I hope you see the logic. I hope you hear what the Bible is really saying here. Because notice the point here concerning prayer then and the point of concerning, of drawing near to God with confidence then, the point isn't you need to be better and less sinful so you can be confident in prayer. Nor does the Bible say, start to think of yourself as a pretty good person so that you can be confident in prayer. Nor does the Bible teach us to sort of start thinking of God as not really caring that much about sin so that you can be confident in prayer. Instead, we are sinners. And God does care about sin. He is a holy and righteous and fair judge. And we are weak and tempted all the time. And unlike Jesus, we do give in to temptation all the time. And God sees that. That is us. But we have a high priest. And he's God and he's one of us. He really came here. He in history died for each one of the sins of his people, paid them in full. And then he rose. And when he rose, he literally ascended to where the Bible, to what the Bible calls heaven, where God is, where thousands and maybe millions of angels are, where believers who have passed on from this life are. And Jesus is there representing us, you and me. Jesus is not up there mainly now just there to watch us and see how great we can try to follow him. Instead, he is there in reality having paid our penalty and now he is the loving, perfect mediator for us. And the point is, all that is true and therefore we can go to God with confidence. (laughs) Confidence. Real conviction, boldness, assurance. And we can do that and we should do that not because our confidence is in us at all. Instead, it's because, our, it's because of Christ. And this means that our confidence then doesn't rest in how good or bad we've been in our lives. It doesn't rest in how consistent or inconsistent we've been in our praying or in how positive or negative we feel or anything like that. Instead, our confidence really is in Jesus alone. Our genuine confidence before God is in the gospel that Jesus in history did all that for us and he's alive right now and therefore knowing that we go confidently to God. That's what our passage here, what God here is clearly saying. And when you really think about it, it's quite amazing. Which finally then leads us to our third and last section this morning. So that's why we don't have confidence on our own. That's what our passage as a whole tells us, really about being confident in Jesus, which now leads us in this third and final section to now more clearly bring all this together, if you will, and make everything plain by asking, okay, well, what then is this confidence? And what does it mean for our prayer life? And I know we've kind of already answered that a little bit, but finally for us this morning, I just want us to start to come to a close with three clear takeaways of all of this men, all of this then just from verse 16. Three takeaways that show us what it means for you and I to have confidence and especially confidence in our prayer lives, all from verse 16. So three takeaways. Number one, this is kind of repeating, but this is helpful. Number one, it means that we need to remember and really embrace brothers and sisters. That our confidence 
And this is true of any Christian confidence we have in our lives. We need to know that that confidence is real. It is confidence. It's not timidity. But it isn't in ourselves. It's in Jesus. And it has to be in Jesus alone. And I know we've said that a few times, but brothers and sisters, we really need to get this. Not just talk like this, but really get this and believe this. Because we as Christians are to be confident people in a way, especially in how we relate to God. And I know that might seem strange to say still for some of us, but the problem, or but the reason is because we're probably, if it sounds strange, basing our confidence in the wrong places. Because bringing this home to, to you and I, really ask yourself, if you could, why could you have any confidence before the living God? Would it be because you go to church enough? Would it be because you avoid certain sins enough? Would it be because you just are trying to really be kind to others? Or would it even be because you read your Bible enough or pray enough or feel like you've been godly enough? The answer to all of that is no. None of that can give weak sinners like us genuine confidence before a perfectly holy God. Instead, your confidence, my confidence, the Christian church as a whole's confidence is in Jesus alone. And, And that's not just words. It really is because Jesus is who he is and he did what he did for us in history. He dealt with his sins. He's so for his people right now. And so we can and should be confident. And to be clear, it is not arrogant to say that or to feel that sort of confidence. That's simply trusting in Jesus. And quickly, that practically matters for you and me because I do think for all of us, if we just boil down our our practical lives, we can fall into two different errors here in our Christian living and praying. Two errors. And I think all of us probably wobble back and forth between these all the time. Because that's for the first error. It it is the error of discouragement that comes from unbelief in all of this. Discouragement that comes from unbelief. And what I mean by that is we can really struggle with being confident in approaching God. We, we can think that God doesn't really care about me or want to listen to me. And why? Well, again, because we know our sins. We know how big and infinite God is or because we just don't think we're that important or anything like that. And therefore, we think there's no way that God wants to hear from me or that God even can hear from a small, sinful person like me. But... Do you see why that's actually a big error in understanding how this all works? Because in short, any thought like that is honestly basing your confidence before God in yourself. Hope you see that. Because yes, we may be sinful and small, and we are. But you know who paid for our sins? And do you know who God the Father has always loved with infinite love and will always hear? Jesus, the Son of God, who passed through the heavens, and we're in him. The Father hears us in him. Jesus mediates for us. And so again, we can and really should be confident before God. And therefore, again, if you think about it, a lot of discouragement in coming before God is usually because we are looking way too much at ourselves. Our confidence isn't in ourselves. It's in Jesus. And so that's the first error that we can fall into. And I think we often do a lot. But then the other error is really the opposite of that. And it's the error of what we can call presumption and pride in going to God. Presumption and pride. 
And what I mean by that is, so sometimes we're not discouraged, but instead sometimes we do feel confident before God because we think we're doing okay. Or because we haven't sinned in this or that way recently. Or because we think we've done our duties, right? And reading the Bible or going to church or praying a little bit. And therefore, we start to essentially think, yeah, I'm doing good enough to be confident in front of God. But do you see how that's actually the same error as the first but from a different angle? Because if discouragement before God comes from thinking about, from thinking it's about us when we're not doing well, (laughs) presumption and pride comes when we still think it's about us, but we think we happen to be doing okay. (laughs) And so we presume to have confidence in ourselves before the living God. But that's why, again, those are both errors concerning genuine confidence and it's why, really, the answer to discouragement in prayer or presumption in prayer is Christ. It's Christ. It's seeing that God himself in his word has said, yes, we are sinful people. Yes, in many ways, we are small and weak, but also Christ has come. He's accomplished the gospel. He's passed through the heavens. He's for us. And so for you and I, we can throw away discouragement when it comes. We can avoid presumption and pride. And how? Well, by going to God in Christ. Boldly, confidently, seeing ourselves there in Christ alone. That's the solution. And really the application for all of us this morning is, can you imagine if we all more consistently thought like that? Can you imagine how that would impact how we go before God and interact with God in prayer? And so that's our first and longest takeaway here concerning what this confidence is, what it means for our prayer lives, which now leads to takeaway number two. And now for this, we're going to look at what the author says after he says, drawing near with confidence. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We'll stop there for now. The throne of grace. And I want to point out that, out that now because going a step further, what this all means, the takeaway for our prayer lives is that yes, we are confident in Jesus, but that's not all. Instead also, since Jesus there is our high priest and since he's covered all of our sins, it also means that the God we go to now is a God of grace. And so much so that the Bible here says, that God himself here says that his throne now is a throne of grace. And really, that statement is incredible because think about it. When you and I hear the reality that God reigns on a throne, like on a throne, what do we think of? Well, obviously, we hear that and we, we probably think that it means that God is king, which, which is, of course, true. And then we probably think that God being king, like on a throne, means he's all-powerful, which is true. Or perhaps that makes us think of the fact that God being king is, shows that he's majestic is a Bible word. That's also true. Or finally, the idea of God reigning on a throne might make us realize how God is a God of justice who will make everything right one day, which is also true. But amazingly, what this verse shows us is that yes, all that is true, but also concerning God the king. Because of what Jesus did, when we as God's people go to God the King, what do we find? Well, God not only characterized by power or majesty or justice, but also God characterized by grace. 
grace. Which again is amazing. Brothers and sisters, when we go in prayer confidently to God's throne, what do we find? Grace. And that may perhaps or should perhaps change your view of God if you do view God just naturally as just this distant deity because this is God. He came in Jesus and and he is so for his people and he has told us that his throne now is an approachable throne of grace. An approachable throne of grace. Which finally leads us to takeaway number three. This is how the passage ends. And now for this, just look briefly one last time at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So church, the point in God's word here in this paragraph is Jesus is who he is. He did all that for us. And so we have confidence in Christ in prayer. We arrive at this amazing throne of grace in prayer, which finally means for you and I practically daily that what's there, what do we find when we go to the throne? We find mercy and grace from our God when we need it. Mercy and grace, that's the final point here. We go confidently in Jesus to God's throne and what does our God give us? What do we receive from him? Mercy and grace we need. When we pray, God is ready from his throne to pour out his kindness toward us and he is ready to treat us better than we could ever deserve. And so that's our passage, church. And I I mean, one, one last time for this morning, just imagine Just imagine if we really more steadily believed all of that to be true. And and I say that honestly as as a weak sinner myself who prays a lot less frequently and a lot less steadily and confidently than I wished. A lot less. And so I haven't consistently embraced all this in my heart myself. Far from it. But, but this week, just going through this passage for myself and all of us, I just kept thinking, imagine if we Christians really believed this. Imagine if we at ECC became a bunch of people who really lived in light of this and prayed like this, having this confidence in Christ. Because the reality is all of us have different struggles in prayer. But to be honest, so often the main reasons for why we don't pray more frequently or more confidently have been talked about and resolved even in this paragraph. Because think about it, perhaps we don't pray because we know we're just weak or we get distracted or tired. Or perhaps we we don't pray much with any confidence because we do know that we're such small sinners. Or perhaps it's because we don't think it's possible to really have confidence in something like prayer. Or perhaps it's because we just naturally think of God as fearful and he doesn't want to hear from us. Or perhaps it's because we don't think of God as a God of mercy and grace. Or perhaps it's just because we don't think God is really there to help. And for most of us, the reasons we don't pray a lot is a mixture of all of those things. But again, church, that's why this passage is what we need to hear. Because yes, that is us, all of us, all the time. But what is the answer to that? In a word, again, it is Christ. The answer to every one of those struggles is the reality of Jesus Christ. What he's done and who he is for us right now. And, and that's what this paragraph is all about. Because to, to really make it plain, Now, if we, brothers and sisters, if we leave here soon after a message like this and we now go from here and we do try to pray more and have more confidence in prayer, but we do that while focusing on our willpower, 
or our goodness or godliness or our steadiness in our lives and our zealous emotions, if that's what we do when we leave here, it will not work. We won't pray much and our prayers will fizzle out. And again, to be honest, we shouldn't have confidence like that before this holy, majestic, loving God on our own because we are more unholy, more inconsistent, more unloving than we even know. And so instead, what fuels prayer though? What is the answer? What is it that will make you and I people of prayer maybe more than you ever thought you could be? Really, it is, it is Jesus. It is. We're to say one last way. This is what defines our lives, our eternities, and our praying. It is that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life we couldn't live. He died for our sins, really paying the penalty for each of them. He rose physically from the dead. He is coming back. And until then, he is so for his people, knows each and every one of us, mediates for us, and all being the case, that all being the case, again, we gotta be confident in prayer. We really now approach God's throne as a throne of grace and we really can know that God, Father, Son, Spirit is, is mediating for us and he loves each of us. And that's because, and so we can be confident in prayer. We can approach God's throne all because Jesus is alive. He is the Son of God. He passed through the heavens as the, as the, as the passage says for us. And so I encourage you, maybe even, even memor, memorize it this year in 2023. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a God we have, church. What a God we have. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.